everyone. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome to our newest podcast, Striker Talks. Few companies in the medical device industry touch the entire spectrum of healthcare like Striker. From accident scenes to ERs, from ORs to patient rooms, Striker delivers the supplies, tools, and devices used to provide patients with the highest quality of care. In this podcast, we'll talk with the company's leaders to gain a better understanding of how innovation, new technologies, and teamwork will further Striker's mission. Let's go. This is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the Striker Talks podcast. Our guest today is Eileen Buckley. She's Vice President of Corporate Responsibility and ESG Strategy at Striker. We'll talk a lot about ESG, and I learned a lot about ESG. ESG, of course, stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. And Eileen will talk about how Striker is looking at its broader impacts on the world. But before we begin this episode of Striker Talks, I'd like to bring in our sponsor, Desalt Systems. I'm speaking with Barbara Holtz. Barbara is an expert business consultant at the Life Sciences Group at Desalt Systems. Barbara, tell me, who is Desalt Systems and how might medical device companies know you? We are a software company and we are typically known better by our brands, whether that is Medidata or Katia or SolidWorks. Honestly, most meta companies, medical device companies have somewhere in the organization at least one person, most more persons that use SolidWorks to engineer and design new devices. And uh, recently we have gone more into the area of even virtual human twins, which uh, sounds very sci-fi, but we have customers that have got a virtual heart with which they model the way a medical device could work in a heart and even a brain which is really quite amazing. When I saw it the first time, I, I was taken aback. So anything virtual, it's our world. That's great, Barbara. We'll hear more from Barbara a little later in the podcast. If you want to find out more about Desalt Systems, you can go to its website. It is 3ds.com. That is 3ds.com. Now let's begin this episode of the Striker Talks podcast. Well, Eileen Buckley, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. It's great to be here. I'm excited to learn more about ESG, but first I'd like to understand uh, how you got into, into sort of this area of business and then ultimately how you got into Shriker, because my understanding from your background, this is your first job in medtech, correct? That's right. This is my first job in medtech, my first job in healthcare, and it's been an amazing experience. My graduate degree is probably just a, a good place to start because it it was in organizational and community development, so that intersection really of business and society. So I came out of that program and went into business in part, I'll, I'll tell you, just because of financial reasons. So I had loans to pay and I ended up interviewing at PwC along with a few other places, accepted a role in professional services in a project management office at PwC and worked on large human capital projects that had IT elements, so systems and processes, and had a couple other roles at the firm before making my way into 
what we called corporate responsibility in 2010 and spent about a decade doing different things, but really saw the profession grow. And it's it's not that CR or corporate responsibility hadn't been around in different forms. It had in terms of philanthropy, the employee engagement side with traditional philanthropy, I would say, or if you go over to reporting, there's something called the Global Reporting Initiative or GRI, and that had been around since the late 1990s. But it matured and certainly gained a lot of steam that decade from 2010 to about 2020. So you saw more skills-based volunteering, scaled. So you had employees in mass doing scaled skills-based volunteering and reporting grew quite a bit to investor grade reporting. What do you think led to that growth or that maybe codification of corporate responsibility, the intent of corporate responsibility? It is interesting that it sort of happened over that time. I wonder if corporations were sort of stepping up to fill a gap that maybe other institutions in our society are uh, are stepping back from, or if it's just sort of a maybe a steady evolution that corporations were going to do this anyway, regardless of anything that was happening externally. I wonder, what, what do you think has sort of been driving the solidification of, of corporate responsibility strategies and intents? Yeah, there's different schools of thoughts on this. And it's, I think, a confluence of many things. And there's books and articles on, on these theories too. Bring them all out. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think that stakeholder expectations have certainly changed. And we've seen CEOs rally around this shift from shareholder capitalism, as we'd call it, to stakeholder capitalism. So that's really important. So right now, we're focused coming out of COVID, especially around employee expectations. We know that employees are especially looking for three things. If we boil it down, just from my point of view, they're looking for flexibility, wellness, and purpose. And corporate responsibility is a really important element of that purpose. And when you think about ESG, which I know we haven't defined, but I'll just quickly define Yeah, please. It. Good time to do it. What is ESG? Yeah. ESG is environmental, social, and governance. And from an investor side, these have been this, this framework has been a subset of non-financial performance indicators. At Stryker, it's a broad term that we use holistically to capture our patient impact, social impact. Um, we report out on, on DE&I metrics under, under this umbrella, environmental goals, certainly enhanced governance. So it's, it's how we behave as a corporate citizen in a responsible, sustainable way. And employees expect us to, more so than they ever have, to re- behave more responsibly. And I'll give you a quick example. Please. I had a, a friend who was interviewing at a company. And she told me, she's an attorney by training. And she said, you know, I just, they asked me why this company, why do you want to work at this company? And she said, I just couldn't come up with a compelling reason for why this company. And we are living in an era where people want that compelling reason. And I think in healthcare, that's easier to make that case. You know, at Mm -hmm. we're a very mission-driven company, but that's not always the case in every industry or at 
every company. So it's a really important value proposition that you want for employees, not to mention investors, customers, and in our case, patients, et cetera. Well, if you're drawing the, the, the best people because you're you're the most attractive option, then that's going to certainly appease the, the shareholders. But that's an interesting point. I'm just thinking back to when I started my career, it almost seems that you've had to choose purpose versus a good salary. <laughs> there wasn't a thought that you co-mingled the two unless you became a doctor or something obvious like that where you're helping people. But people definitely have both tracks in mind now when they're looking to start their careers. So let's talk about your, your move into uh, to Stryker. What presented the opportunity for you to join the company? I was thrilled when I got an outreach note from a recruiter at Stryker. I had followed the brand and the company for some time, and I knew the culture was really unique. And I'll go back to that mission-driven culture at Stryker. I, was, I, I could see the, the mission come alive. It was activated as I went through the interview process. So that mm-hmm. was one thing. Uh, Striker is also a strengths-based culture, so that comes through. And there's an element of positivity where at Striker we focus on people's strengths and the positive that comes with that. I think that's important. From a corporate responsibility side, I could tell there was a readiness across the leadership team. A lot of times you'll see specifically the CEO and the CHRO, the Chief Human Resource Officer, focused or ready to learn about and accelerate corporate responsibility or ESG. At Stryker, I sensed a readiness across the leadership team. So the CFO, our chief legal officer and others across the team, it's important to call out our commercial business leaders, had an appetite and could sense that this was really important for business growth and where the world is heading. So that was key. And then finally, just personally, I, I knew it was somewhere where I could adapt quickly and add value, which was important for both the company and me. So I've, I've just been thrilled. And, and I'll just leave you mention this too, Tom. Once people go into healthcare, rarely do they leave because it is such a meaningful industry, as you right. likely know. Oh, that's a great point. And, and it's an interesting one about Stryker and about other medtechs as well, where you have people who have already sort of made a decision to to join a company that gives some purpose. I wonder if they're more inclined to be open to a stronger embrace of ESG because they're already wired that way, or or I could also, I guess, make the argument that they feel like they're already doing that by being in an industry like medical devices. But it sounds like it's more the latter, that you're sensing a, just a real openness to uh, bringing ESG more into daily work. I'm going to take a quick break from my great conversation with Eileen Buckley to bring in another great conversation. I'm speaking again with Barbara Holtz of Dassault Systems. Barbara, what was one of the first aha moments you've had with regards to ESG, especially as it relates to the medical device industry? Recently, I came across the GSK annual report, and we were looking for the ESG numbers, and they explicitly say that the use of inhalers is makes up 40% of their scope three emissions just the use of the inhalers, not the making it, not the medication, just the use of it, which I thought was outstanding, you know, at such a high number. And DSK realizes they have to innovate, which is good news for us because that's where we come in. But it's uh, it it then also showed on on the other hand, the annual reports of all companies in the the life science sector will say they want to make medicine affordable and accessible. They want to really provide it to everyone 
And through COVID, we know that's possible even globally. So now we are in this uh, in this pull from both sides. We want to make it affordable and accessible. On the other hand, we are destroying the planet. So what do we do? So I was quite amazed how big that topic is and that it affects really everybody. Interesting. And what do you see as the biggest challenges for the industry, again, in terms of ESG and how the industry is developing as a whole? We have different expectations to healthcare. We have expectations to more personalized, more precision healthcare. Um, we have expectation that it, it reaches us much faster than previously, especially after COVID, where everything just accelerated to an extraordinary speed. I think globally, people are also have expectation to have access to healthcare, whether that's medical devices or surgical interventions or anything really. That, that is much more timely and cost-effective so that they can actually pay for it as well. So I think that is, is a huge challenge for the healthcare industry. It's also a huge opportunity, but it's also a challenge in order in you know the scale and the speed is putting a lot of pressure in the industry. And that's combined, of course, with a lot of regulatory oversight. So you always have to stay on the right side of the regulations. So one example for this type of innovation that is personalized and 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 provides precision healthcare is, for instance, a striker offering of personalized implants that can be then during surgery be be used, you know, help patients to get better on you know on their feet much quicker. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a, that's a, that's a good example of this challenge. Great stuff, Barbara. Any last uh, thoughts on this uh, very important topic? Well, I'm coming from a company that uh, lives in the virtual sphere or you know provides solutions there. So we we hope and we know we actually know that digital plays a huge role in transforming this the industry and the patient experience to this new digital e-health altogether more holistic and personalized healthcare systems. And I'm just very glad that I could talk on your in your wonderful podcast. And um, because really we are all working in the same field, we want to innovate for our patients. And you know, companies such as Tiger and us, we meet when we try to figure out how to provide more personalized healthcare, such as 3D printed implants. Terrific. Well, thanks for joining us, Barbara Holtz, and thank you to Dassault Systems for sponsoring this episode of the Striker Talks podcast. Once again, if you'd like more information about what they do, go to their website, www.3ds.com. It sounds like it's more the latter, that you're sensing a, just a real openness to uh, bringing ESG more into daily work. Yes. One thing that we've found that's really important, I think in any industry, but especially in healthcare, where I, I'm probably a little biased here, maybe we all are, that we have. Oh, we are. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We have a workforce that is mission driven and looks for meaning in our work. Right. But I think it is helpful. This space ESG, if you want to think of it as responsible, sustainable practices is another way that I, that I frame it for our internal stakeholders. It's about change. This type of work does not happen overnight. It has a very long tail It's about planting seeds and letting them blossom over time and bringing people along with you on these journeys because it's a broad scope. There's many areas of opportunity. So whether you're talking about sustainable product design or packaging or climate health related to human health, or I'll give you just two more examples because I could go on, employee engagement through skills-based volunteering or impact investing, 
All of these are massive areas that require change management, education, et cetera. And when making the kind of value proposition, it's important, I think, to, to take that individualized approach and look at you know, what does this person need to accomplish in their role and how mm-hmm. do I make it relevant? Wow, that's a lot. How does a company like Stryker track your ESG or its, its ESG success? Who who monitors the progress? Uh, do you report to management? Are there some external entities that are assisting in this? What is the sort of the monitoring and the, and the, the grading? Uh, where does that come from? This is an important question, especially as a company. One of our values is accountability. And we're living at a time where trust is so important. Uh, companies have never been as transparent as they are now. And you know, you asked about how this has all come to be. I do think since 2008, we, we've had a reckoning where, again, going back to that stakeholder expectation, stakeholders expect us to be more forthcoming about communication on progress. So even, um, I'll use another example, the murder of George Floyd. A lot of companies said they were going to do things and now the questions are coming. Okay, you put headlines out. What have you done to follow through on those headlines? So we have several commitments. We have a commitment around diversifying our workforce, around creating an inclusive, a more inclusive culture. We have a longer term commitment to become carbon neutral for all of our facilities by 2030. We have formalized our governance so that our board oversees that we have formal oversight of our corporate responsibility and sustainability practices at Stryker. And these are all things that they might sound like, well, of course, a company should be doing this, but none of this was formalized before 2020. And we'll continue adding to those goals over time. We'll add more goals and all of that progress, you know, we have milestones, that progress is communicated in our annual comprehensive report. Additionally, we communicate to our CR, our corporate responsibility steering community monthly on our progress. And we communicate to what's called our governance and nominating committee, which is made up of a subset of our board directors on that progress. So that's all very formalized and investors care a lot about this because mm-hmm. they want to know that risk is being mitigated on these topics and, and other topics like cyber, human rights, et cetera. Wow. So let's tackle the, the three letters. Let's start with, with E. <laughs> as, as a rule from your experience at Stryker, does the medical device industry impact the environment any more or less severely than, than other industries? The medical, so our industry doesn't impact it more, but we certainly have a responsibility to reduce our footprint. And there are several groups that have formed. And I'm proud to say our industry is taking an active part in trying to be part of the solution. And the key word here is collaboration. So we know one company can do this alone we're all part of one another's value chain. So in one case, we might be, well, we are suppliers to healthcare systems and hospitals and other cases, we're customers. So it's really important that we collaborate. I could rattle off and I'll just name maybe three. Healthcare Without Harm is a fantastic global initiative. They've been around for 25 years. They're an amazing body of resources on their website. 
Practice Green Health is another one, a healthcare membership organization that Stryker is a member of. AdvaMed, of course, our association, which is coming along and advancing practice in this space. So there's just more, we're seeing more work, but we still have a long way to go. Hmm. What steps has Stryker taken to lower its carbon footprint in your plants? I've, I've read some releases, some news, uh, particularly in Europe. I don't know if it's exclusively in Europe, but uh, what are you folks doing in that regard? We have made considerable considerable progress in Europe. We have Ireland and the Netherlands. They run on renewable energy completely. We have 14 sites that run on renewable energy. We've completed more than 75 energy efficiency projects since 2019. And those can be big and small. I mean, they could be everything from light bulbs to uh, solar panels. Just a recent example, we have a combined heat and power co-generator in Puerto Rico, which will reduce our footprint, our carbon reduction footprint by about 3% and increase our resiliency. So if the power goes out, we can continue running. And that's not only important for Stryker, but also for the community. So we've made tremendous progress when it comes to reducing our, our footprint. But again, we still have a long way to go and we have a strategy to get there for both the short and the long term, including issuing more ambitious goals. And we'll be sharing those in our comprehensive report each year. Okay. How can a device company like Stryker create devices that carry less of an impact? I know Stryker is doing a lot in, in additive manufacturing. It's one of the leaders there. We've had separate conversations with other companies about single-use devices. And I'm always, it's always, it's, it's interesting to learn. Some say those add to, to waste. Some say it actually creates less waste because there's less cleaning going on of the devices. But how can a medical device company like Stryker create devices that carry less of an impact? Yes. So the pandemic made the single-use plastic problem more complicated, certainly. And Stryker Sustainability Solutions has been a leader in that space for reprocessing devices. We've also been a leader, as you mentioned, with additive or 3D manufacturing. In fact, we just had an internal town hall this morning that was broadcast from one of our facilities in Ireland. And to see the technology there is just incredible. So to give you an idea, additive manufacturing produces 13% less greenhouse gas impact. And that's just according to one life cycle wow. assessment that we've done. Right, exactly. So that's something, you know, as we say, better is good, right? Could we still do more? Yes, we could. But it's a smarter way to manufacture and it is a reduced footprint. So that's, you've got additive, you've got sustainability and reprocessing. And then the other angle on this that will undoubtedly accelerate innovation is regulation. So France has already come out with regulation around plastics, which will take effect in 2025. In the US, we're seeing it in California, but that's going to ripple around the globe, I think, especially in Europe, which is usually out in front. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have to respond as an industry to that. And again, I would point to innovation and our companies. I know we are investing in innovation to get in front of that. And last question about this part of ESG. Uh, how are you working with customers to help them reduce waste? Is that is that a, an effort of yours? It is. And we're tracking customers' waste and carbon reduction goals. Those are two big areas where customers are putting out goals, which, which makes sense. If you look at what's 
material, and I don't mean financially material, but in, in the world of ESG material to our customers, waste and carbon reduction. And it goes back to that, that concept around shared responsibility because we are their suppliers. So how can we help our customers meet their goals in that space? And in some cases, our products do that, believe it or not. And in other cases, we need to work together to come up with solutions. And and that's where these third-party collaborators can be helpful as well. So we're seeing more of those conversations happening. We're actually having a conversation with one customer in the U.S. in particular in October to discuss how can we work together to meet these goals. Mm -hmm. There's still, again, a tremendous amount of opportunity, but I think it all starts with the conversations and looking at supply chain too. And how can we make sure we're zeroing in on responsible supply chains that also have transparency and and kind of raising the bar? I'm curious, do you look at travel of striker employees as part of it? Do you look at your carbon footprint that way? You know, maybe having sales reps not go to ORs every time. Does that ever come into calculation? We we do look at travel and logistics. That's part of what we call scope three emissions. And we're looking at at fleet efficiency is another area of opportunity. Scope three, so your upstream and downstream emissions, customer use would be another example, product use. And that's the toughest to measure. So when you see these really ambitious carbon reduction goals, that's the question sometimes. And Mm -hmm. regulatory agencies, including the SEC in the U.S., are talking about, uh, and there was a proposed rule on the table right now about more regulated reporting on that so that there's, again, more clear definitions of how companies are defining their emissions and reporting on them, including you know having them audited, et cetera, because scope three is pretty, it's very difficult to capture. We're working on that now so that we can report out as accurately as possible. Great. So that's a lot of E, the environmental part of ESG. Let's let's hit upon S and G, S being social. I think you probably hit upon a bit of this earlier, but what are some of the areas under social that you're looking at and, and where is Stryker looking to make improvements? Social is an area that people often look for more clarity because it can be a little, I'll use supply chain as an example, which is such a hot topic for multiple reasons right now. Mm-hmm. You've got supplier diversity you got supply chain transparency, human rights comes into supply chain and forced labor. So you can imagine, you can create many goals around this space. And again, expectations are coming from stakeholders. And we actually set a goal that's in our our latest report around the, the goal specifically is to engage suppliers on ESG performance assessments with the goal of covering 85% of our direct spend by 2027. I know that's a lot of words and a lot, a very nuanced nuanced goal, but what's most important about this goal is that it's being driven by our responsible procurement team. And so I'll bring this back to a broader point that I, I haven't mentioned this yet. Corporate responsibility, sustainability, ESG, it is about the entire enterprise. So it's not about you know, my team or the sustainability team. It is about every single person at Stryker finding ways to embed responsible, sustainable practices into what their job is. So whether you're a marketer, 
you're a packaging engineer or an R&D engineer or a on the line at GQO, you are thinking about how can I be embedding these sustainable, responsible practices so that Striker can be around 81 years from now, so mm-hmm. that we are future-proof and we can use this as a growth driver and a competitive advantage. So I just, I want to mention that because the social element brings in a, a lot of opportunity. The other thing, Tom, I just want to mention on social, sure, social impact. So as a healthcare company, one area that stakeholders, including investors, look at us and they say, how are you increasing access to healthcare around the world? So in disadvantaged communities or low and middle income countries. So that's another area that we're looking at. We have a stellar social impact team and that's about collaboration as well. So we can't do that on our own. We need to be working with nonprofits like Operation Smile, the Red Cross and others to make sure that we are really mindful and doing a lot of listening when we go into communities. That feels like a, a uniquely med tech thing. I'm sure there are other industries like it, but you don't hear of uh, Apple isn't required to make iPhones more affordable or more more equitable, give them more equitable access to their electronics. Is this something that is uniquely med tech? And it's obviously important. This is healthcare we're talking about, not consumer electronics. I'm not being glib, but to be charged with making the best devices and then also making sure they're available to people is a big order, a tall order. It is a, it is a tall order. I, I will say this maybe from a point of objectivity. And this, again, I, I'm going into like, I'm, I'm a specialist in this, so I, I appreciate this is very detailed, but there's something called the Sustainability Accounting Sa- uh, Standards Board, or SASB, and we report to SASB, where our reporting is informed by SASB. SASB has standards for 77 industries. Okay. So that access and affordability topic does apply to our sector. However, Apple has a list of standards too that they have to report to. And I don't know that list as well as I know our list, but they they are being challenged as well. Good point. And finally, let's hit G, governance. What falls under that? That's a That seems like a real open-ended term. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is, it is. So under governance, we've seen more activity around board diversity, board engagement. In fact, yesterday we presented, I mentioned we present updates on ESG and corporate responsibility to what's called our governance and nominating committee. And this is incredibly important in an era where, so again, I'm going to point to like the 2008 crisis and even going back to things like Occupy Wall Street, shareholders, employees, communities want to know that boards are not just overseeing financial metrics, but also non-financial so that enhanced governance over these risks that mm-hmm. come into play, cyber is another really hot topic, given geopolitical events, et cetera, that you have a really diverse board. And that's meant in every sense of the word, experience, tenure, race, et cetera, that is well aware of the business dynamics in the marketplace and can do a great job advising management. It's fascinating how you think you look back at these important, but somewhat you think they're isolated incidents in history and recent history. You mentioned Occupy Wall Street and how far the ripples go from those events that they do actually bring change. may not have been seen on that day or on that month, but that keeps reverberating throughout. Yeah, it's true. And every time we present to our Governom Committee, 
I learned something. They push us on our goals. They have an objective view that we really value. And I'm, I'm really grateful that we have this group of experts that can help advise us. And final quick follow-up, you mentioned cyber a few times, and I haven't uh, really asked about it. How, how does cybersecurity sort of, where does it fall under ESG and, and, and how does it sort of fit? It feels like it would be something different. Yeah, we do have some of these topics like cyber. I, I would say for some groups, you know, I mentioned I'm a, I'm a corporate responsibility leader at Stryker. In some companies, DE&I would also fall under that group. It does not at Stryker, but we're responsible for helping to bring our internal stakeholders along because we are monitoring the marketplace. We're, we're benchmarking, we're working with external agencies on what's expected for disclosures. Cyber is a great example. We're seeing more requests for disclosure around cyber. So for example, how often does your cyber, your head of cybersecurity or your chief information officer report out to the board? What are the credentials of your cybersecurity team? And a list of other disclosure requests. And you have to work, our team works with our internal cyber team to decide what what are we willing to disclose, what makes sense. Hmm. And we, we do that with many teams. That's a good point. And I guess it is uh, the trait of a, a good citizen, I suppose, to ensure they're doing everything they can, a corporate citizen as well, to protect themselves and protect others who do business with them. You don't want to be the weak link in the chain. Right. Especially when you have patient data or customer yep. data. Mm-hmm. Great point. All right. Well, this has been been very interesting and, and, and uh, not something I get to talk about very frequently. So uh, I'm really grateful that you shared your expertise and, and uh, thanks for joining us in the podcast. Thanks for having me, Tom. And if I can just reiterate that this is everyone's job and it's an exciting one for us all to help to, to solve these environmental and social challenges. So thrilled that I got to talk with you about it. Great. Thanks for uh, reinforcing that point. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Striker Talks podcast. Thanks, of course, to Eileen Buckley for being our guest today. Really enjoyed that conversation, and I learned a ton. And, of course, I also enjoyed the sponsorship of DeSalt Systems and talking with Barbara Holtz. So thank you to both of them for being part of this episode of the Striker Talks podcast. Once again, if you'd like to find out more about DeSalt Systems, you can go to 3ds.com. Please do subscribe to the Device Talks podcast network. You'll get future episodes of the Striker Talks podcast sent directly to you as well as future episodes of Device Talks Weekly and Intuitive Talks. It's a great opportunity for you to uh, keep on top of what's happening in the medical device industry. So you can also go to devicetalks.com to find past episodes and future episodes of Striker Talks. You can find it on striker.com as well. But the best way to get future episodes is to subscribe. If you would, please do share this episode on social media. Please uh, put it out there on LinkedIn and Twitter and connect with me on both. I am on Twitter at MedTechTom and find me on LinkedIn, Tom, S-A-L-E-M-I. That's it, folks. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Striker Talks podcast. Tune in next time. We'll have another great episode of the Striker Talks podcast waiting for you. 